Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. If you've got your Bibles, uh, uh, turn to Exodus chapter 11. We're doing the fourth part of just a series on Moses, looking at Moses' life. Uh, if you've missed any of the messages, because they kind of build, uh, you can go to you know iTunes, our podcast, or YouTube, our channel, or, or Facebook, and you can kind of get caught up there. So at the very beginning... <clears throat> of Moses' interaction with Pharaoh. He goes to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is overseeing millions of Hebrews that have been living in Egypt for hundreds of years. And Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, God has said, let my people go. All right? Not hostile, not angry. He does a couple of miracles. You remember, he dropped a staff. It turned to a snake. He put his hand inside his vest, pulled it out. Uh, it was leprous. He put it back in. God, God healed him. And so very beginning of this Moses-Pharaoh relationship, he just said, let, let my people go. That, that's all. Just let them, you know, just let them go. Pharaoh's like, no, I'm not. I'm not going to do it. So Pharaoh starts with different plagues. We talked about them last week. The plagues of blood, the plagues of frogs, the plagues of flies, the plagues of gnats. You know, like, I don't have any way to describe the plague of gnats unless you've been to the pond house during the summer and you sat on the porch. It's just a small kind of what that is. I've been, I don't know if God's trying to get a message to the pond house. I don't know. Uh, gnats, livestock, the plague of livestock, open sores, hail, locusts, and darkness, and Pharaoh would not, Pharaoh would not let go. So now we come to the final plague. It's um, Exodus 11, 1. It says, the Lord said to Moses, so he's, God's talking to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, He will let you go from here, and when he does, he'll drive you completely out. Tell the men and the women alike, they're to ask their neighbors uh, for articles of silver and gold. So God tells Moses, hey, there's one more plague, but he didn't tell him at the moment exactly what it is. So, but he tells him something else that's kind of unusual because after 400 years of captivity, Harsh labor, brutal treatment, little or no wages. God says enough. It's time for some payback. Now the methods may sound a little unusual on this payback. But he said, I want you to go to the Egyptians. Tell all the the, uh, Hebrew families, I want you to go to the Egyptians and ask them if they have any silver or gold they want to give you. Okay? It's kind of unusual. Okay? I want to remind you of a principle this morning. God eventually repays what the enemy has stolen from you. 
I say eventually. Sometimes there's a little time lag. Sometimes this accumulates over a period of time. But I want you to know at the end, God is going to settle the score, equal the balances, and God will repay. Jesus talking about the enemy said the first thing the enemy comes to do is steal. He comes to steal. He takes things that are not his. Things he does not deserve, but there's a principle that builds throughout the Old Testament like God said to, to Joel to tell the people, I will repay what the locust has eaten away. He's telling that to farmers. That's a huge kind of, kind of promise there. First Peter 5 says, after you've suffered a little while, he will himself restore you. He will bring it back to the original condition. He will bring the accounts. He will, he will settle them. All right, I believe that. I believe that God repays. When we moved here, and some of you have heard me kind of share this. Maybe if you're new, you haven't. But when we moved here, we, we were unable to sell our house in Kentucky. Like four years, I had a mortgage and a rent and three daughters. Do the math. All right. My worst discouragement, my, my lowest moments came nothing you know, that had to do with this church, but it had to do with just my personal finances and feeling like, man, I, I can't make it. I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. A pipe breaks, water flowed in my house for days before the, the realtor saw it. Oh, it was a mess. I mean, I'm low, discouraged. I mean, trying to juggle... Financial pressure is just some of the worst pressure that you'll ever that you'll ever have. When I finally sold the house, I had to write a check at closing. He offered me lower than what I owed. I was so happy. I I went and got the money. I I I wrote a check. Everybody at closing got money from me. Everybody was happy. All right, man. I just walked away. Nothing. I mean, I walked away like wow. Four years. I mean, it was it was awful. But I want to tell you, all right, almost four years later, I'm not going all the details, all right, but I told Becky this the other week. I just feel like that everything I lost over that four years that God has given us back, all right, in about four years, okay, just everything, you know, just everything that we had just kind of lost, that discouragement, just living on the edge, you just felt like all the time, I just feel like in a very short time, God has given that back to us. So I just want to say, God will eventually repay what the enemy has stolen from you. At some point, he will balance the scales. Verse 3, the Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people. And Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. So, Moses has no idea, but God is moving on the other side. You know, he's speaking to the Egyptians. There's a passage in a previous chapter that said, God made Moses, or, or to Pharaoh, God made Moses like a god. You know, so here he's got this great respect from the Egyptians. He has no idea. Pharaoh is feeling the edge of intimidation. Intimidation. 
okay? Can I just remind you this morning, God sometimes works in ways that we do not see, all right? We, when we don't see his hand, we assume that he's not working, but that is not the case, all right? And let me just say something else. God does not always tell me what he's doing either. He's kind of quiet like that. He doesn't inform me, all right? So listen, there are times that I don't see his hand or hear his voice, and if we don't, we should not assume that God is not at work. The whole time, Moses is nervous. He's got a self-confidence issue. Who, they're not going to listen to me. He's not going to hear me. He was fearful about the reception that he was going uh, to get from Pharaoh. And really, in actuality, when Moses walked in, they went, oh, wow, look at that man. Wow. Wow. Man, they, they, they saw him with fear. They saw God's, God's working sometimes on the other side, and we don't, we don't even know it. It was the same for the Hebrews, the slaves. But in slavery for hundreds of years, the Bible said that God made them favorably disposed, gave them favor in the eyes of the Egyptians. Can you imagine when Moses told the Hebrews, God's going to repay but you got to go and ask them for it. What? What? Really? Really? Okay. Hey, uh, we're the Steinberg family. We're the Hebrew slaves from down the road. And we were just wondering if you had any gold or silver you wanted to give us. Would you want to do that? But do you know when they opened the door, the Egyptians opened the door, and they said, Hebrew slaves? What? What? Because God had already, God had already worked. Uh, yeah, yeah. We, we've got gold. we got silver. Hey, just a minute. Just a minute. Get all the gold and silver out of the house. Put it in a bag now. Bring it to the door. All right? See, I just want to remind you, God works when we don't see. God's at work when we don't hear. Sometimes we assume God is asleep, that he's not at work. What's happening in my life? You bet your bottom dollar God's hand is working to bring his favor and his purposes in your life. Don't you ever, work that God, don't you ever worry that God's not at work. We just need to take the first step. We just need to take the first step. You know, we want to see it first. We want to hear it first. We want to feel it first. You know, it doesn't always work that way. You just move, be obedient to what God says, and trust that he's working on the other side. So God, God had met with Moses. So Moses, he goes to Pharaoh for the final meeting. It's the final meeting, final time. And Moses says... These things to Pharaoh. He says, tonight about midnight, there's going to be some things that are going to happen in Egypt. And here's what's going to happen. The firstborn of Egypt will die. The firstborn of Egypt will die. It's going to happen around midnight. Now listen to me. God in his nature 
is a good, loving God of forgiveness and mercy. But he is also a God of justice as well that does not turn his eye from sin, brutality, bloodshed, and murder. They've been executing the firstborn. They've been cruelly holding these people captive. They executed them. Remember the story? They would plunge a sword in an infant's body. I mean, who, who could do that? They would take a newborn and throw them into the Nile. I mean, who, you know, who could do that? So, so he tells them the firstborn of Egypt is going to die. The second thing he says is there's going to be mourning and weeping across Egypt. He says there's going to be loud wailing and crying worse than there's ever been before or there will ever be. All right. But he says also during this time, Israel will be protected during this judgment. He said for the community of Israel, they will have no idea what is happening because I'm going to protect them and make a distinction between what's going on in Egypt and what's going on in the Hebrew community. And then he says, Pharaoh, you will, at that point, you'll allow us to leave. All right. That would be his breaking point out of all the times that he that he, that he said no. And then the last part of that said, Moses, you know, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. So he's angry. He's angry. And I was just like, why? Wonder, wonder, it says he's hot with anger. And I was just thinking like, why? I wonder why. But sometimes maybe, maybe you can understand this. When you look at certain circumstances in your life with people and you see unnecessary suffering, lost opportunities, poor choices in people's lives. You ever been around that? You just see people who are just making bad choices and you just get a little irritated. You just get a little angry because what's happening in their life does not have to happen. It doesn't have to happen. This is your choice. So Moses leaves and he's just, he's really hot. All right. So I want to tell the rest of the story with just very little interruption. Then I want to kind of gather some thoughts here at the end. So Moses had that conversation with Pharaoh. Now he goes to the Hebrews. He's got some instructions for them about what's going to happen at midnight. So the first thing he says to them is kill the sacrificial lamb at sundown. This is what I want you to do at sundown today kill a sacrificial lamb. That lamb should be a male. He should be at least one year old. Perfect. Without, without any kind of, you know, don't, don't take your crippled lamb. This is to, should be the, a perfect lamb. So kill the sacrificial lamb at sundown. Take the blood of that sacrificial lamb and put it on the door frames of your house, the top and the side and then he says, because this blood is going to be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And God said to them, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And I will not permit the destroyer. The destroyer will not be permitted to enter your house. So kill the lamb at sundown. Take the blood of that lamb, that perfect lamb. Put it on the, the door frames of the, of the house. And then he says, prepare and eat the Passover meal. 
So I want you to take that lamb, okay, and I want you to cook it, all right? I want you to cook it, and I want you to have a meal of this lamb, bitter herbs, and unleavened bread, unleavened bread with no yeast. Doesn't sound like very appetizing, right? But here's what I want you to prepare. But then he says, get ready because when you eat this meal, I want you to have all your clothes on. I want you to have your shoes on, your outer coat ready, your staff ready, okay? You need to be ready to go. And he said, I want you to eat this meal quickly because this is the Lord's Passover, okay? And then the last thing he says to the Hebrews He says, once you're free, I want you to remember the events of this night and celebrate it on an annual basis. He said, this is going to be a big night. And from here on out, I want you to celebrate the events of this night. He said, they're to commemorate for generations to come. You are to celebrate what God is doing as a lasting memorial. Okay, so that's the four things that he says to the Hebrews. So he's talked to Pharaoh, he's talked to the Hebrews, and now let's look. I'm just going to read some of these passages with really really little comment here. So at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to to the firstborn of the prisoner, who was in the dungeon, firstborn of the livestock, Pharaoh and all of his officials and all of the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. So Pharaoh wakes up and he hears what Moses talks about this this mourning, this weeping. And I think too, the realization of what happened is happening is on his shoulder, the guilt And the regret that he must feel in that moment, especially because even his own son did not escape. But here's the Hebrews, when this starts happening at midnight, in their homes, with this unusual meal, eating while they are ready to walk out. So they begin to eat this meal. They, they hear what is happening in Egypt. They've got their clothes. They're standing. You know, they're loving the firstborn, thanking God because their firstborn was protected. All the infants, remember they were hiding infants at that particular time because there was a death sentence. They are loving those infants. They can now live, you know, they can, they can now live openly, but they could also hear probably the wailing and the crying of the Egyptians mothers and wow how things had been turned during the night Pharaoh summoned Moses and said leave my people you and the Israelites go and worship the Lord as you have requested take your flocks and herds as you have said and go and bless me get out quickly grab your stuff and go this was his breaking point the Israelites did as Moses instructed ask the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. Here's the moment. So now they're going asking for the silver and gold and clothes, but it's in the moment, you know, that, that, that 
that they had lost, you know, in every family there wasn't a death. So now, not only had the Lord made them favorably disposed, but you've got the backdrop of God's judgment. So when they did, you know, they, they, they asked them, and the Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed to the people. He gave them what they asked, so, so they plundered the Egyptians. Unusual word, because plunder is kind of aggress, aggressive on, you know, on the recipient's part. But man, they gave, they gave everything. But they, they had been favorably disposed, but they also had God's fear. I just want to tell you, you never know how God's working on the other side. And then they leave. 400 years. They've been in Egypt. They've been slaves. There's 37. The Israelites journeyed to Ramses, from Ramses to Succoth. There were about 600,000 men plus women and children. Many other people went with them. Large droves of livestock, flocks, and herds. Because remember, God had protected. God had protected them. So here they go, taking the first step that they've ever taken you know, out of, out of Ramses. Now the length of time the people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left, okay? The promise of God had come to pass. So I wanna just look at a couple of things and we're gonna take communion this morning. Let's, I wanna look at Pharaoh for a moment. I wanna look at like his journey up to up to this point. Now I'm going to just call out some things that have occurred in his life and let's just see maybe there's some similarities in maybe what Pharaoh had gone through and maybe what you feel like in your own life. See if there's any, you know, similarities. Maybe maybe you've never given your heart over to Christ. Maybe you've, you know, maybe you've kind of wandered away for whatever reason. So here Using the story of the plagues from last week and today, just here's some things that I, I think are worth noting. Number one, Pharaoh had clearly heard from God. It was, this wasn't an issue of knowledge from the introduction of Moses you know, to the miracles, you know, uh, at the beginning of each plague, the Lord gave him the invitation, you know, to let his people go to surrender. So, you know, Pharaoh could not stand and go, I didn't know he had clearly heard from God. Is that you? You know, is it, is it an issue in your life that you have never heard the gospel? You don't know anything about, about the Lord? He had witnessed God actively working in his life, okay? He saw it through the miracles and the plagues. So he was hearing a clear message, but also at the same time, he's watching God working through other people. There was a clarity when it came to the, the miracles and signs and wonders. So he hears and he knows, but he sees as well, okay? Those close to him were telling him that God was dealing with him, okay? At one point, one of his officials said, this is the finger of God. Anybody ever said that to you? Hey, man, God's trying to get your attention. God's, you know, you're, there's some, some things that are happening in your life that you are not seeing. This is God's, you know, this is God's hand, all right? Are people telling you that? Hey, you need to listen. Hey, you need to pay attention. God's trying to say something to you. He tried to have his relationship with God on his own time and his own terms. 
He kept putting off a decision. He told Moses at one time, we'll do it tomorrow. Hey, I'm not going to let him go. Well, I'll let him go, but they can't go too far. Well, I'll only release the men. Is that the way you approach your faith? As some kind of spiritual negotiation with God? That you'll just kind of do it your way, in your time, in your plan, and you're laying out your own pathway to salvation? All right. Tried to have his relationship with God on his own terms and time. Many were hurt and suffered because of his decisions. Sometimes our own selfishness sometimes, where there's collateral damage in our life because of our own decisions that we make. All right? How many people had to suffer? Why was Moses hot at the end of his talk? Because there was going to be unnecessary things happening to innocent people. And, it, you know, so I'm, I'm just, saying, just saying to you, you know, sometimes people are hurt, collateral damage because of your spiritual decisions that you were making. He acknowledged his sin and asked for prayer, but he was unwilling to change. Several times, Moses Pray for me. At the last, did you catch that last verse when Moses departed? He said, get out of here. Hey, also bless me. Also bless me. What? Listen, so he acknowledged his sin and he asked for prayer. So here's somebody who is not, you know, not void of some kind of understanding of God. But yet he was unwilling to change. And there's some here this morning. You know the way of the cross. You know sin. You know right and wrong. You believe in the God of prayer. If you need a miracle. But you are unwilling to change. And that's going to be a sad day. At judgment. Because it will not be an issue. Of knowledge. He had multiple opportunities. To surrender to the Lord. He saw God's hand. He felt God's presence. God had given him an invitation and he said no. How many times has God spoken to you? How many times have you felt conviction of the Holy Spirit in this church, another church, when you're walking down the road? How many times do you, or when you're driving or you're working, how many times do you have God conscious thoughts? How many times do you just know in your heart, man, I need to, I need to make things right. You have that feeling. How many times maybe do you sit in this service or you watch online and you feel this drawing? I know I need to make things right. You don't do anything with it. He had multiple opportunities to surrender to the Lord. After the plague of locusts, Pharaoh didn't get another chance to surrender to the Lord. When Moses came back the next time, he didn't give them the option. He just told him what was going to happen. Listen to me very clearly. There is a time that you have, will have heard the gospel for the very last time. And you won't know it. Because you live in this cycle of, I've always got another opportunity. I've always got another opportunity. You don't know what's around the corner for you. You don't, you don't know the course of your life. Pharaoh had seen Moses many times. You know, that was the last time that he had the opportunity and he just kept saying no. Now listen to me. There are many reasons why people don't come to Christ and bow their knee and experience the wonderful grace of Jesus and the, the life of love and serving our Lord. But I want to just deal with one today. And that's pride. That's pride. We have people that go, I'm in control of my life. I'll live my own life the way I want to live. Nobody will tell me what to do. 
They even think sometimes, hey, when it comes to my faith, I'll do it on my own time. I'll do it in my own terms. Can I just remind you of something this morning? God's not trying to hire a co-pilot for your life, all right? So sometimes it's pride that keeps us from surrendering to the Lord. And I want to tell you something. Listen to me very carefully because some of you may walk down a path that you don't need to walk down this morning. You need to listen and give to the Lord. But there are times that God will kick the crutches of your pride out from under you one at a time, not just so that he can dominate you, just so that he can get your attention and let you know that he loves you and there is judgment to come unless you turn your life over to Jesus he'll start humbling like he did with Pharaoh he'll start dealing with you you'll start to see the very things that give you pride you'll start to see them fall and it will be the Lord's hand because he's trying to reveal himself to you we all stand in judgment One day we all stand before God. What's your answer when he said, what have you done with sin in your life? What's your answer? Benevolent deeds, money given to charitable causes, those things are great, but it doesn't take care of the sin problem in our life. So maybe at the end of the service, maybe if that's you today, God's not trying to have a conflict. God wants you to serve him. He loves you. He's a God of love. The cross is not an issue of power. The, 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 the cross is a, is a statement of transformation of your life. It's a great life. It's a great life when you humble yourself before the Lord. So he, that's some things about Pharaoh, the Hebrews. Let's just look at that for a minute. For the first time in their life, they had heard, you're free. Free to go. Free to go. After 400 years of captivity and slavery, they could not envision another type of life. And we'll talk about that later on. You'll, you'll see that. Listen to me. Because sometimes in your, in your life, your mind and your identity gets wrapped around and entangled in your present circumstances. So you start to reframe what you are and who you are based on some of your past in your present circumstances, you become a reflection. Your identity becomes a reflection of your past and your present circumstance. So to a slave that's been there 400 years that says, go, you're free, they have no comprehension of that. They have no comprehension of what that life would be because their identity is only of that of a slave. Jesus gives an illustration about this, but he uses it as he talks about us being a slave to sin. So here's the illustration, okay? A slave, a slave carries out the wishes of the master. You know the the relationship. A slave is not a member of the family. It has no rights, no privileges, no relationship. Now a son 
a son of the family. He has authority. He has all rights, all privileges. They are his. So the only way that a slave can be free is not by self-determination. Man, I'd like to be free. I want to be free. It'd be nice to be free. The only way that he could be freed is if someone with the authority, someone in the family spoke that he was free. So Jesus says this. So if the son who has the authority sets you free, talking about our slavery to sin, if the son who has the authority to set you free, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. When the son says it, it is done absolutely. It is done legally. It is settled. You're no longer a slave anymore. All right, get this. So I'm not a slave anymore, but then he says, and by the way, now I'd like to adopt you in the family. Man, that's mind-blowing when you have a slave mentality. When you, when in your mind, your identity is wrapped in your past, in your present circumstance, and you think this is all I am and all I will ever be, it's a very difficult message to comprehend sometimes when the Lord says you're free and oh, by the way, you're a son and daughter of mine. Come on and live in the house. Come on, live in the house. But if we're not careful, this, this mindset will always be with us. We will always walk in the mentality of a slave and forget that we are a son. We will always be weak, always be defeated, always be down because in our mind, we are always the slave to sin. We are set free from sin, living in freedom. And that's a different thought for some people. Living in freedom. I'm not a slave anymore. I'm not a slave anymore. Can I just tell you? I don't care what's in your past. Because sometimes our past frames us for how we view ourselves right now. You're not that anymore. You're not that anymore. You're not a slave to what happened in your past. Some of you got some uncomfortable circumstances going on right now in your life. And it bothers you and it's framed your mind and your thinking. And you feel, you know, you, your identity is connected to what you are going through now. I want to tell you this morning that you are not a slave to your past. You're not a slave to your sin anymore. There is a freedom that God wants to release in your life. You're not a slave anymore. You're a son and you're a daughter. You can break free of that. You can live free. You can live free. And the last thing that he said to the Hebrews, hey, for, don't forget, when you're free, remember the events of this night and celebrate it on an annual basis. As they leave Egypt, don't forget this moment. Celebrate it annually in perpetuity. So for thousands of years, the Hebrews celebrated Passover in different ways and in different forms. When the temple was built in Jerusalem, they changed how they celebrated it. And instead of just kind of doing it locally, they started traveling to Jerusalem, okay? Because it was the 
city of David. You know, it was the center of the epicenter of, of God. Also, the temple was there as well where God dwelt. So on an annual basis, man, people started traveling for this, for this Passover celebration. And it became kind of a, a religious festival. If you look in your Bible on Psalms 120 uh, to, uh, uh, to 120, let me see, uh, 134, there are psalms that are called Psalms of Ascent. Psalms of Ascent. That's 14 chapters that when people would go to Jerusalem for the, to celebrate the Passover, they would sing these songs. They would sing these, these passages of Scripture. Can you imagine what that's like? I mean, it's, you got eight days off. Eight days off, mandated by God, all right? And they're, they're going to Jerusalem, thousands of people. You're singing these songs. You're preparing yourself to remember the great deliverance, the great, the great Passover. I mean, what, what a great time that that was. And they did this for thousands and thousands of years. Jesus himself celebrated the Passover. If you remember the story when Jesus got lost from his parents, you know, it's every parent's worst nightmare that we hate reading that passage. They were going into Jerusalem for the Passover. There were so many people there that Jesus got lost from his parents. But every year, if you read in the life of Jesus, he was celebrating, he was celebrating Passover, all right? So I wonder, I wonder, worship team, you can come. I wonder when it was and how old Jesus was when he realized as he took the Passover meal that one day he wouldn't be a spectator. That one day he's going to have an active part of this particular celebration. I wonder how old he was. I wonder what, where he was either when he read the passage or he's at the Passover meal and the Holy Spirit connects the dots to him you know, the fulfillment of the Passover. So it's Thursday night. It's Holy Week. It's the last week of Jesus' life. They're in a room and they're preparing to take the Passover meal, okay? They're celebrating the Passover meal. Passover, it's eight days. And what you did is you retold the story of the deliverance of uh, of. Uh, of the Hebrews, you killed the sacrificial lamb just like that. You ate the same meal of unleavened bread, lamb, bitter herbs. You just, you, you in one kind of time, you, you sat down and that's kind of what the Passover meal was. So it's Thursday evening and this meal is spread and he reads the story like they would do, you know, maybe... This blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you. You read the story. Then they ate the meal. They had done the sacrificial lamb, the Passover lamb. That's what they called it. They would eat the lamb, the herbs, the unleavened bread. So they're sitting there. It's Thursday night in Luke says, Jesus speaks, he said, I eagerly desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment 
in the kingdom of God. So immediately, what? This is the last time we'll do this? And he takes this Passover meal that they've had numerous times in their life, but he begins to make an an unusual application. He took the bread, the unleavened bread, and he gave thanks and he broke it like they always did. But he said to them, this is my body given for you. When you do this, do this in remembrance of me. What? What? He's now connecting this wonderful celebration to the end of his life. This is my body. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he takes the cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. What? What? This this is the this is the, the Passover. This is a now this becomes a powerful moment when the disciples realize the significance of what is occurring right in front of their eyes. This Passover meal that had been passed down in perpetuity was now taking a new meaning with the life of Jesus. It was not a coincidence that Jesus' crucifixion occurred at the Feast of Passover. Okay? It's not a, it's not a coincidence. It wasn't random. What you're seeing is the tying together seamlessly of the Old Testament sacrificial system and the, the, the uh, Passover seamlessly woven in to the life and the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus died on the Passover, okay? Listen, there's so many, you know, I mean, there's so many, you know, connections. I'm just telling you, this is not a random kind of thing. It didn't luck out that way. It was the author of the scriptures, God himself, that wove these stories together the, of, of uh, the Passover, of the bondage and slavery that the Hebrews went through, the sacrifice of the lamb, the application of the blood and freedom from slavery because of the blood. There's an application that applies to you and I today that we are in bondage. We are slaves to sin but there was a sacrifice of a perfect lamb 2,000 years ago. The application of his blood upon our lives is transforming and now I'm not a slave anymore. I am free because of the sacrifice of of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, Christ is our Passover lamb and he's been sacrificed. Paul writes, for I want you to know that it was not with silver or gold that you were redeemed from this empty way of life, but with the precious blood of Christ without blemish. 
and without defect. It all ties together. The seamless harmony of those stories is God's message for us today. Jesus called it a new covenant. This is the new, the new covenant written in my blood. The message of the Passover is don't forget what God has done for you. And the message of communion is always remember what Jesus has done for you. So the communion that we are about to take is an extension of the Passover meal that started thousands of years ago that was completed and finished through the work of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Critics of the cross, critics of the Bible. Listen, these stories are not random. I'm telling you, there was an author that's been having his hand upon the narrative of this message for thousands of years so that you and I will hear it today. You and I will hear it today. I want you to get your communion emblems ready. If you're at home, in a moment, we're going to to take those. And I, I want you to wait. I want you to wait. We do open communion here. Like, you don't have to be a member. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're more than welcome to, to join us. I want to say, if you're away from God today, your heart's not where you should be with the Lord. You strayed. Maybe some of the things that we saw in Pharaoh's life, you're like, hey, that's me. That's me. I'm just telling you. Today's your day. Today can be your day. Don't let there be another no. Don't, don't try to qualify this or negotiate it. Just accept, accept God's sacrifice for you and let him, let him forgive your sin and walk out of here a new person today. Walk out of here a new person today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given it, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup. Is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. And then he said, a man or a woman should examine themselves. There needs to be some introspection in our heart before we go forward here. And I want to give you a time. We're just going to be silent. We're just going to pray. I don't care if you're close to God or you're far away. It's a moment that we all ask God to forgive our sins. We come back afresh and anew to the cross of Jesus. And if you're away from God this morning, maybe you've turned your back on God, you've been hurt, whatever, this is your moment just to surrender your life and your heart to the Lord. Let's just take a few moments of this examination and prayer, and then I'll come back in just a moment. Jesus, wonderful. Isn't the name of Jesus wonderful? Isn't the name of Jesus wonderful? 
this bread with its connections back to the Passover reminding us of our old life Jesus the bread of life we're going to take that bread Lord I thank you I thank you Lord for our old life our memories of things we've done wrong but this is the new bread it's the living bread and we give you thanks we give you thanks, Jesus. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, can we take the bread together? Can we take the cup, Lord, from the shedding of blood, from the perfect lamb that happened thousands of years ago, Lord, to your death, Lord, that blood protected from the destroyer. But today your blood gives life and it gives hope and it gives transformation. And your word says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And we thank you this morning. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that you forgive our sin and you change our lives. And Lord, you don't hold a grudge against us for what we did wrong. Thank you, Lord. Let's take this cup together. Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.